Hello, everybody. You're listening to the 25th episode of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP, where we talk about baseball, drinks, and everything else under the sun. I'm DeCarlo Calloway, alongside Dorian, and on today's podcast, your favorite winos put away our VHS, dry St. Louis Cardinals tears with $100 bills. We hear shots fired at the NCAA, and we conclude our broadcast by addressing mental health. But prior to that, we do every, we will do what we do on every single episode, which is first discuss our drinks. So, Dorian, how are you today? What is it that you are drinking? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm uh, molto bene, mi amici, mi amico, my, my friend, my, my uh, Italian speaking friend, De Carlo. And I'm telling you, uh, as my other favorite wino, salute, cheers in Italian. Because I'm drinking a Pinot Grigio, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a sip right now. A Pinot Grigio from uh, we have, when we're we're lucky enough to have one of our uh, HBP's uh, research assistants is Italian, so he's gonna tell us how to pronounce his place, and it's pronounced Mezzo Corona. Thank you, Luigi. So I'm having a Pinot Grigio from Mezza Corona in Mezza Corona, Italy, and it's on the north coast of Italy. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something about the beautiful country of Italia. This is a ba- this is mostly a baseball podcast about space, sports, drinking. But I'm gonna tell you about Cristiano Ronaldo. You, everyone knows who Ronaldo is. He's a world famous superstar soccer slash football player. And I'm t- I'm talking about him. He's Portuguese, but why am I talking about him drinking an Italian Pinot Grigio? Because he, he's been with Juventus now for two and a half years, a very famous football club in Torino, which is actually close to uh, Mezza Corona, and he's refusing to speak Italian. Did you know this, DiCarlo? I know you're, you're a big soccer player. You're a big, not a big soccer player. You're a big uh, soccer supporter. Yeah, I'm not, I, I can't say that I've actually heard this. I mean, to be truthfully honest, I, I, I only begin you don't care. watching – well, yeah, I really don't. But I just started watching the uh, Serie A again. I haven't yeah. watched it for quite a while. So, I mean, I know it has the league to for old dinosaurs to, you know, go. Everybody's you got like, your boy. Oh, they're like 40 Zlatan. years old, man. Yeah, I know. Oh, it's sad. People, the Serie A back 30 years ago in the 1990s was the pinnacle of world football leagues. But anyways, we're not going to talk about that. Back to back to Ronaldo and back to the beautiful language of Italiano. Because Cristiano Ronaldo, he's played in Portugal, obviously, because he's Portuguese. So he speaks, that's his native language, Portuguese. He played at Manchester United, so he speaks English fluently. And he played for uh, Real Madrid in Spain for, I believe, nine years. And so he's fluent in Spanish because... For Portuguese speakers, Spanish is incredibly easy, but it's not vice versa. But that's another story. And so now he's playing at Juventus, the biggest club in Italia. And it, it for someone who speaks Italian and Spanish fluently, Italian is, is a piece of cake. But he refuses to learn Italian. And people are starting to call out, not people, certain people are starting to call him out on that. that uh, there's a former Juventus defender, uh, Pasquale Bruno, he played. He was a defender for Juventus about thirty years ago, and he said, "Quote: He is ignorant. He has no respect for his teammates or the Italians. Because when Ronaldo does his interviews in Italy, he always speaks in Spanish or in English, and he just he he 
understands everything that they tell him in Italian, but he just doesn't speak it. For me, it just blows my mind that it's so easy for him to, it would be so easy for him to learn Italian. And he, for me, that's telling me that he wants to get the hell out of there. But uh, salute to uh, Ronaldo and the beautiful uh, lingua d'Italia. So my for favorite wine, what, what are you going to drink? What, what is your wine drink, my favorite wine? Well, before moving to that, I actually have a little thoughts about this. I, I honestly, I think Ronaldo could do whatever he wants. I mean, at the end of the day, if he understands you and he doesn't want to speak in Italian, then leave him alone. Like, but the girl, it's, yeah, but it's, you, I, you, I mean, you, you, you know, you, you know, Spanish, it's once you start learning two Latin languages, it's so easy to go to learn. You know, yeah, the why? Latin languages, French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, Catalan. I mean, why? Just, it doesn't matter. He's a bit like he's so rich and it's like, I don't care it's, anymore. It's be, it, okay. It's because it's harder for him to refuse to learn than it would be for him to just speak it. Like, I, I don't understand what it's like. You're making it more difficult by refusing to speak it than it would be to speak it. Well, but is he really making it more difficult? It is. Because it is. You it's have so just easy. People. Italian is so easy. No, I understand. I mean, I, I've had a few uh, inebriated nights in Italy, and I found myself speaking Italian and can't remember how. But at the same time, it's just like, what does it matter to him? I mean, you have just people upset. Okay. And I get it. But if he really... If he's at the end, like the end of his career, which you know, if he nah, decides, he's gonna Tom Brady it. Yeah, gonna he, Tom, he, he's gonna just play another six years, probably. Yeah, but eh, whatever. I mean, people are gonna always find reasons to be mad at athletes, especially whenever they do things that they don't like to their liking. Like I, I remember when we were back in, uh, in grad school. And Ronaldo was still playing for United. You remember right. when he crashed his Ferrari and just walked and left it? Wait, was that Ronaldo or was that Mario that was, Balotelli? That was Ronaldo. Okay. Yeah, he just. I did, I did remember someone messing up their Ferrari in the underpass uh, by the Piccadilly train station. I think it was. Yeah, it was Ronaldo. He just got out and walked away. Like everybody does stupid stuff, and you know, Ronaldo is the type of personality who he's knows he's really good, but he, he's not just a conceited, oh, like, I just naturally have it. He really works hard, so he's just going to do whatever he wants. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, he does. But on the wine note, I am drinking a Pinot Noir from California. It's from Mark West Vineyards. Um, it's okay so far, I have to say. It's not too bad. It's not too bitter, not too sweet. And there's really no big story. It was on sale. So, <laughs> so I'm, you know, this is the first time I've been drinking – any alcohol while we've been recording for quite for a few weeks for, now. yeah for a, yeah for a few episodes now so uh, welcome back to the club my friend anyways when you're drinking listener with your favorite wino with when you're drinking your healthy kombucha with your friend with your workout partner tweet us a picture of what you're drinking to get you going our twitter handle is at hbp4040 and use the hashtag hbp drink now, not only are we your favorite winos, we're also going to stop using our VHS because there was a certain team that refuses to spend and they got called out on it. And specifically, a, a man who just lost his job, Kevin Mather, he, he used to be the CEO and president of Major League Baseball's Seattle Mariners. And you get all the hard-hitting breaking news here at HBP because he was fired about six weeks ago. But again, you get the hard-breaking news here at HBP. (laughs) 
And my issue is, well, not just my, but a lot of people's issues with Kevin Mather, the former CEO and president, was spe- speaking of Ronaldo and not refusing to speak Italian. Kevin, who I may add is Anglo and does not speak any languages besides English, he was making fun of players and employees on the, in the Seattle Mariners organization for not speaking English perfectly. It, ugh, anyway, so he was he. This is a, the, the Seattle Mariners are worth one point about one point six billion dollars, and Kevin was complaining. Uh, during a Zoom call with uh, Bellevue, which is a small town in the state of Washington, the Bellevue Breakfast Rotary Club back on the 5th of February, he was complaining on that Zoom call with them that the Seattle Mariners, the poor little Mariners, had to pay a, tr- a Japanese-English translator $75,000 $75, a year for a former Japanese player. Uh, I'm going to mess this one up. Uh, Hisashi Iwakuma. And now Mr. Iwakuma is back on the Mariners as a scout and he still needs the translator and he's complaining about paying someone $75,000. It's ridiculous. Not only that, a current player, a young super stud Dominican baseball player by the name of Julio Rodriguez. When Julio signed with the Mariners, I think at 16 years old, he made it his mission to learn English by the time he got uh, got called up to the the, Mar- to the Mariners, and he speaks really good English. And here, Kevin's saying, look, oh, he does he, he said, um, uh, what did he say? Uh, I forget something about it. He doesn't speak the, he, he's loud, and his English isn't tremendous. And then Julio, being a young kid, I think he's 19 years old, he was on his Twitter, he went to his, he went on his Twitter uh, handle, and he did the famous Michael Jordan meme when you know he's sitting back with his whiskey and cigar and he put his face on Michael Jordan's body and he put under it and I took that personally. <laughs> I love that Julio Rodriguez this is his second language and he he's already cracking jokes like it's awesome and it just refutes all the all the nuttiness that a uh, former president CEO Kevin Mather was anyways on this call they basically he basically admitted that the Seattle Mariners manipulate service time which no, I was going to say, I wanted to interject and say about this, uh, you know, in, in terms of him speaking and, and talking about people speaking English. I mean, those are just a lot of those like elitist type of moves that you find within the old business circles, you know, complaining about paying honest wages for an interpreter. $75,000 a year is, that's not that, that's average. Sal- like, I mean, it's good salary for, you know, trying to have a life, but the idea that a billion dollar club is complaining about playing an interpreter. And it's mainly just because he's probably one of these individuals who feels as though you have to come in and know the language and doesn't really want to actually do much to bridge that. And I mean, I know that was something that was a big hit in terms of a lot of other teams, especially when more Japanese players started coming into the major leagues was having to have these interpreters. And then how long would they have to have these interpreters? Because you'd have players like, um, what is it? Hideki Matsui or, you know, not Ichiro. Ichiro ended up learning English and speaks very good English, but you have others who play for like seven, 10 years who didn't learn English and, you know, still had an interpreter. But I I find it's really just tasteless when people do that and make a big stink about that, especially when those people who do take it upon themselves to learn English and are trying to learn English, and then you um, ridicule them for not 
being proficient like a native speaker. They're not gonna ever speak like a native speaker. They're gonna always have a little bit of time in between trying to process and pull words together. And also there's accents are gonna stick in too, but I just find it very just like unbecoming when people do that. And, and Oh, but he wasn't done my friend because he, he basically admitted that the Mariners practice service time manipulation. And those of you who aren't huge baseball fans of minor leagues, that's basically when baseball clubs can stop the clock on when their young players come onto the major league team and start their free agency clock. And there's a, at the beginning of every season, if you keep a, a young player in the minors for the first two weeks, you basically gain an entire year of service. And CBS Sports said that this basically, it's a bad faith tactic that amounts to wage theft, which is exactly what it is, because you're then able to, to suppress their wages for one more year, which is crazy. Not only that, he also called the Mariners' best player, third baseman Kyle Seeger, overpaid. And mind you, Kevin Mather was named in a sexual harassment suit by three different women against the Seattle Mariners way back in 2015. And in 2015, at Safeco Field, where the Mariners play, they had, uh, for some reason, there was, I don't want to say, maybe it wasn't a VHS tape, but it was maybe a CD-ROM. I don't know what it was. But there was a close-up video of two female fans, and the folder was labeled 92915Blondes. And it had women, not nude, but in compromising positions, situations at at the ballpark. And it's just on. It's incredible and incredibly bad. At that time, he was the executive vice president of finance and ballpark operations. He's had two workplaces against him from women. Uh, And back in 2018, he said he's learned from his mistakes. After all of this, after that sexual harassment suits, he was promoted. I mean, people do not take his career path as an advice for you to get promoted up to CEO and president of a baseball club, but it's, it's, it's it's ridiculous. So he finally resigned on the 22nd of February. And um, he had said back in 2018 that, you know, we had to con- quote, we, we con- I'm confronting some unpre- unpleasant realities, end quote, after the 2018 sexual harassment settlement uh, against for those three women. So again, this guy is making fun of other people for not speaking English perfectly, even though he only speaks English. He's calling their best player overpaid. He's stealing wages, literally is what they're doing, from young studs. And he had he sexual harassment suit. So this guy sounds like an asshole. He sounds like a very unpleasant person. So he's no longer there. Yeah, but he did fail up a lot. He before. failed up <laughs> all the way to the top, baby. So I'm sure he'll find his way right back there in a year or two when he does some, uh, you know, image rehabilitation. Yeah, and, and a lot of the time they'll do that image rehabilitation and they get put in some front office jobs that nobody even knows that they've been put there. So that, that's the that's the sad thing we find about a lot of these like business cultures is that people they'll apologize, but the apologies are empty and there's never oh, yeah. any atonement. It's not what 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 is it that I can do to to grow? I mean, there is a thin line, especially in in the world in which we're living in, where people are being, uh, you know penalized or for things that they've done in the past, whether it be for tweets and stuff like that. But then there is a real problem with individuals who've consistently had this bad behavior over the course of their careers, finding themselves continuously growing and, and, and moving up the, the economic ladder. That's where it becomes problematic. It's trying, like it's, where is it that we find that, 
okay, it's time to get rid of somebody because they truly are abhorrent, like their, their yeah. behaviors are abhorrent compared to this is somebody who might have done something when they were young. They might have posted something online before we truly knew what online etiquette was and how these things follow you and that they've grown and everything that they've done after the fact has shown completely different. But yet we're bringing that up to kind of hold them accountable for stuff that they've done. Like there is a fine line, but there is also a big difference, too. Yeah. And another language that everyone speaks, even if you're monolingual or trilingual or whatever, we all speak the language of money. But there's there's a couple of there's a handful of teams that aren't spending any of that, any of those Benjamins, and they're and they all reside in the National League Central for baseball. The the the, the majority owner of the St. Louis Cardinals, Bill DeWitt, said in back in June of 2020, quote, the industry isn't very profitable, to be quite honest. End quote. Wrong, wrong, my friend. Wrong, Mr. DeWitt, because Mr. DeWitt bought, he was part of the group that bought the St. Louis Cardinals back in 1996 for the paltry sum of $150 million. Now, the Cardinals are worth $2.2 billion, with a B, dollars. Bill DeWitt himself is worth four, one, two, three, four billion dollars. And the Cardinals have been profitable every single year with the exception of 2020 in what other business can you do that that you can guarantee for 25 years you have a profitable 24 out of the last 25 years you have profitable i mean that's unheard of he's had a return of an investment of over 1400 percent it's ridiculous and not only was this club just bought for $150 million back in 1996, within a few months, in December of 1996, they immediately sold uh, some four garages that were part of the package for $75 million, which basically covered half their cost. It's ridiculous. I mean, the Chicago Cubs, another team that's not paying anyone, they're slashing payroll. That, uh, two years ago, they had a payroll of $212 million. Now they have a payroll of $143 million. They aren't paying anyone. They aren't, they're not going to resign Chris Bryant, their star, third baseman. The Ricketts family, we've talked about these this family a lot, how they refuse to, to, to pay. Um, they love slashing the payroll. But listen, my friend, once things get back to normal in the U.S. and when the majority of people are vaccinated in the summer, probably, and they open up the ballparks to 100% capacity, when you once you go to Wrigley Field or, I don't know, the field where the St. Louis Cardinals play, you better believe that the disgusting hot dogs and the disgusting domestic beer is going to be even more expensive than the last time you went there. Oh, they don't. They, 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 they're not. They're not. They're, they're going to put a, a a below average product on the field and expect you to pay the same for seats, for parking, for beer, for peanuts, for everything. It, it's just I I hate how people I don't, don't have pride. Them. I don't blame I them. Don't, you want to know why? Because the because the consumer unfortunately still pays the premium prices for it. Now, and, and, and this is what happens when you're in a market like a baseball market or a large uh, team market like Chicago, St. Louis, it's known for the St. Louis Cardinals. That's their baseball team. It's really the only team. Well, it's the only baseball team in town. I mean, granted, Chicago has the White Sox, but the Cubs have their own history. And people will make those trips because Bush Stadium, which is a stadium that the St. Louis Cardinals play in, and Wrigley mm-hmm. Fields are historic. And people are going to make those trips. They're going to do it. That's going to be a big outing. And then, of course, after this past year plus, 
people, those who have the means are itching to spend it. And, you know, some people flush with new stimulus money are going to be <laughs> wanting to spend it. So they are going to count on that. My There's friend. a lot more cash in the economy now that is going to be just going to need places to go and people are going to spend it. I, I completely agree that it sucks that people gouge. I remember a few years back when Will Ponds were still running the Mets and they were still charging premium prices for games that nobody wanted to see just because they were the New York Mets and they've recently finished City Field and they wanted to pay off yeah. the financing. But they do have good they do, they do have good food out at City Field. Oh, it's so much been better there than the Yankee it's, Stadium. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. I think it's the best food, best stadium food in all of baseball, in my humble opinion. No, it's really but, good. It's really yeah. good because they have all the local queen spots in there and then you also have like <clears> Shake Shack and other big-time ones and there's just so much to choose from. And the fact that yep. you could actually go down – and walk the promenade on the on the field level where more food concessions are. So you're not just designated what's on your tier. That's yeah. even better. Yeah. And I want to give a cheers to the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres out from the National League West for not doing this nonsense. They're putting premium products on the field, and you should be happy to pay premium price for the concession stands because – those the Dodgers and the Padres are building super teams and it's going to be so much fun to watch them. So ching ching to the Dodgers and the Padres for speaking the language of money versus the DeWitts and the Ricketts family in the National League Central. Well, you know, different, everybody has their different business strategies. And so we see that as well happening now, especially in, um, you know, more amateur leagues, amateur sports. So, now, there is some new competition coming out for high school basketball players. And this is something that has been a big issue within sports for quite some time. It's amateur eligibility when it comes to the NCAA. And you have players who come from many, many players, not all, but you'll have a lot of players who go into college basketball with the goal or college sports in general, with the goal of becoming a professional athlete, which we know is a very, very difficult thing to do. But many of these individuals, unfortunately, find themselves in very difficult binds because being a student, yes, it's, it's a beautiful thing being a student and having your education paid for, but it's an even more difficult thing when your family and everybody that you know and love is depending on you to be able to bring home the bacon for everybody. And that four-year span of being in school is very difficult for a lot of people to be able to do. So there's a new basketball league that is being backed by Overtime, which is a sports media company. So for anybody who's... Um, been on the internet and seen these videos of high school players doing like, especially Zion Williamson, like Zion Williamson was a big like person that they grew over where they would post a lot of his highlights from um, his high school games. So this is creating they there. So overtime is creating an overtime elite, which is a league that they are putting out to compete against the NCAA. The NBA already has one called the G league. But now you have Overtime Elite who's doing this as well. And so we'll be offering these finished high school basketball players $100,000 salaries to skip college, which for those who are looking at basketball as their only route, it's an interesting type of endeavor. You know, you have a lot of people who do go into to, to college sports, not really thinking about the educational aspect, which, I mean, as a, as a person who really prides himself on education and learning, 
I think it's a disservice, but I can understand when you, when the economic need outweighs that long-term and like that long-term motive. Like it's one thing if you say to yourself, this is my way out. I'm going to, I need to try to make on, make some money on this investment. And then I'd, I'll go back to school to be able to accomplish all of the things that I want to do, which many athletes have done. If you look at um, Shaquille O'Neal, he went back and continued to get degrees. You look at Vince Carter, who did that people who jumped out and went to the NBA prior to completing their college degrees. But it's an interesting thing. What are, what are your thoughts on that, Dorian? DeCarlo, I'm surprised that you're kind of against this because I didn't say you I was against it. I didn't say you, I was against it at all. I'm actually kind you of. You said something it. about education. I thought you said something about like you know you, you don't like the, the not education part or something. No, like that. I un, no. I was saying that I understand where certain athletes are making that move as a college as a college athlete, mainly as a stepping stone to go to professional to go into the professional leagues to make more money because the immediacy of their economic situation is now. Like as an educator. I would hope that you could sit back and invest in that because for one, when you're getting your education paid for for free, that's a great thing. And also the college experience is one that I think, you know, bar none is one of the best experiences anybody can actually do. And if you're a college athlete, my God, I can only imagine. I was just an undergrad who wore his pajamas to class every damn day. I could imagine being like the top sports athlete at a D one school. My God, you know, but I get, I get when, you know, student athletes, where athletes are saying like, Hey, I need to make some money now because my family needs to eat and they're depending on me. Like I get that. Like, there's no doubt about that. I, I don't see the need for this, uh, this, this NCAA overtime elite thing that they're making. I mean, if all these athletes would just go to Auburn, they'd get paid just like Charles Barkley. No, but that's the thing is that <laughs> you have like, Players like Reggie Bush, if you look at, remember him, the guy who um, was like one of the greatest running backs in college, in college football. Yeah, yeah like, Heisman, he's a real Heisman Trophy winner. We know he won the Heisman Trophy that year. I don't care if I had to give it back. I don't give a damn. He was the best player that year. No, but the crazy thing was, was that it's because of these stupid NCAA rules that didn't allow for him. Like he'll sit back and then take a gift, and then there's these these whole convoluted things, and it's really just a way to consolidate their wealth because the national like collegiate athletic association wants to make billions and billions of dollars oh, yeah. and doesn't want to free share labor. the spoils free labor oh it's, it's modern day slavery it, it yeah. is what it is like i mean these people like, they cool. they make money off the backs of these athletes and unfortunately these athletes, like the majority of them are not going to make it in the professional like sports leagues no. and nobody educates them on that and that's the problem is that you have people who might be star athletes in high school and they get recruited by, say, a D1 school. And the idea of, oh, my God, I'm going to potentially go into NBA or the NFL is like running through their minds. And all of these people who are just trying to make as much money as possible within that quick moment. And unfortunately, these guys, they don't they don't know like, oh, I'm going to devote myself to this and I'm not going to make a single penny, nor am I going to really learn the skills and know how to be able to to develop myself. Like, so it, it's such a messed up situation that I get why you have players who are like, I'm not going to waste my time going to college because I really just want to make some money right now. Like, I get that. College isn't for everybody. And I wouldn't sit back and, and recommend that you invest like years of your life or money if you have to do that for something that might not, you know, bear fruit for you. It just doesn't make any sense. You're right, and I, I was kind of I, I was kind of joking, but I really wasn't joking about 
uh, Hall and uh, Basketball Hall of Famer Charles Barkley, he said that when he was at, at college at Auburn University playing college basketball, he took about $20,000 one year. And that helped him tidy him over for another year, because if not, he would have he would have declared for the NBA draft if the agents hadn't given him twenty thousand dollars cash. And he himself says that uh, the the college athletic system is broken. It's it's. And I also remember that. I mean, there's there's so many stories that he would fill up an entire podcast series. Another one was back in the late 80s and early 90s when the University of Miami college football team were the monsters, were the Alabama of college football at that for that nine-year period. Those players, because of all the games that they would win, all the times they were on national television, all the bowls they would go to, all the money that they were, that they were air quotes, earning would go to help build new buildings on the University of Miami campus in Coral Gables, Florida. But these kids were starving. They couldn't even get – these are big boys. Even if the co- colleges provide you your three, three meals a day, someone who weighs 250 pounds and is six foot three, they need a little bit more than your normal 2,000 calories a day. It, it's, it's, and they felt like they were ostracized. It was like the, uh, the University of Miami academic leadership was like, Oh, we want the money you bring in, but we don't like being associated with you because we think we're in an Ivy League school of the South. And let me tell you, University of Miami is not an Ivy League school. <laughs> I, I, I have plenty of uh, family and friends that went to University of Miami, and that is not an Ivy League school. It's a very good school, but it is not an Ivy League school. But regardless, it's, I, I, I like the idea that this new, potentially new league is almost like the, the youth leagues in European soccer. So you sign some kid who's 14 years old if you're in England or Spain or, or, or Italy, and some team signs signs them for a long-term view of they could help our team potentially one day. The same thing with Major League Baseball. Why do they sign all these Dominican, Venezuelan, Mexican kids at the age of 16? Because they're like, look, we're going to house you. We're going to feed you. We're going to teach you English. We're going to give you a quasi-education. But you're gonna be, your full-time job from the age of 16 is baseball. There's good and bad in that. So it gives people hope. Uh, that's really, is, it's not just people. It's, it doesn't give people hope. It just get, it literally gives people food and a shelter over their head. And it's, it's sad that it's that way. But I, uh, I think that this comp- competition brings out the best in, in us. And if this overtime league comes out, the NCA is going to reform itself faster than you could imagine after 50 years of complaint. Well, not 50, but probably 30 years of complaint. You can see how fast they reform themselves. That's my prediction. That's my non-Miss Cleo prediction. Well, that's an interesting thing. We'll see what happens, especially with the NCAA. But sadly, when it comes to entrenched positions that have historically uh, benefited off of the backs of free labor, it's very difficult for them to give up their their share of the pile or, or, or giving up any share so that but anybody what, else can take some uh, partake from the food. When something like money, 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 money is talked about. Greed is the name of the game, my friend. Unfortunately. But I will tell you who's not really greedy, especially when it comes out to giving what it is that you want on your Bacon, morning bacon, egg, and cheese, or your sausage, egg, and cheese, or your turkey, egg, and cheese, or your bagel on a roll with butter. Talking about Amy's Deli, people. So Amy's Deli is a is the deli 
for all of your bodega delight. So whether or not you want to go in there and get a chopped cheese one day, whether or not you want to come off the train and you're like, yo, where my bacon, egg, and cheese? They're going to be like, yo, here's your bacon, egg, and cheese. And we'll give you a little extra strips of bacon just to make sure that you're happy and satisfied. So whenever you are in a rush and you want to make sure that your morning, your morning breakfast is taken care of, make sure you stop at Amy's Deli. And always ask yourself when you walk in there, have you had your bacon, egg, and cheese today? Everyone can afford to eat at Amy's Deli, whether it's a, the poorest NCAA athlete or Cristiano Ronaldo. The next time he's in Queens, you can also head over to Amy's Deli. <laughs> That's for sure. But we now, as we said at the top of the show, going to talk a little about that's not funny, not funny at all. It's it, part of my un unsolicited advice segment, and that's mental health. And mental health, as DiCarlo had said, not to you, but he had said to me earlier, personally, uh, mental health is not, not everyone suffers from mental health issues, but mental health is like physical health. Sometimes you get the flu or coronavirus, or you break an ankle, you break something. We all go through periods of mental health issues, whether you know it's actually a clinical diagnosis or not. And I wanted to talk about that because... As uh, baseball is right around the corner, I know I'm very excited because baseball is part of the name of this podcast. I wanted to talk about mental health, about you, and also in athletes, because even these great, powerful, incredibly talented, almost touched by a higher being individuals, they also go through mental issues because we only see the physical part of what they do with their bodies. That's how they earn their money. But their mental part is as, as important. One gentleman I want to talk about is one of my favorite shortstops, Andrelton Simmons. He is, um, he used to be a shortstop with the Atlanta Braves. That's why I know because I love him. Then he was a uh, shortstop with the Los Angeles Angels. And then with now he signed a one year contract with uh, what's his name, the Minnesota Twins. But we're not talking about his on the field because he's an absolute amazing player. He's from Curaçao. Curaçao is a Dutch island in the Caribbean. And during the COVID truncated season of 2020, he had thoughts of suicide. And he spoke, he said that he initially wanted to opt out of playing the 2020 season, but he, he did play, but then he, he had to walk away from the team five games before the end of the regular season. And he said, quote, it was the best decision for me and my family. Uh, quote, it was tough for me mentally to where the thoughts of suicide crossed my mind. It was something I vowed a long time ago I would never consider again. I was fortunate to talk to a therapist, which helped me let go of those thoughts, end quote. And he, he, didn't, he didn't say these things to the public during the season because he didn't, he want, he's a private man. He didn't want other people to be judging him or twisting his words around. But uh, he, the reason he ended up playing most of 20, the 2020 season with the Los Angeles Angels is because he thought that if he could be open about his situation. So he did speak, but he didn't speak with the media, but he could help others who were struggling with her mental health. Uh, someone else who wasn't so lucky is uh, Drew Robinson. He was a former outfielder for the San Francisco Giants, and he unfortunately attempted suicide in April of 2020, and he survived. And, I'm, and he, ended his, he ended his career because he, I think it's his, he no longer has function of his right eye. And he spoke to ESPN a few weeks ago and he said, I'm here for a reason. And that reason is to help 
raise mental health awareness and help others who are suffering in silence. And it's not just baseball players that go through mental health issues. Uh, and it's not just also suicide. It's um, Michael Phelps. Everyone knows Michael Phelps, the grand, the greatest, arguably the greatest Olympian of all time. He struggled with mental health throughout his Olympic career. And when I, this came out a few years ago, but what I was like, Michael Phelps, like Michael freaking Phelps had, has like these thoughts. I was really surprised. And in football, as well, uh, Michael. I can't. I don't know his last name, DiCarlo. Do you know it, Michael, Michael Orr? Or, or. Michael Orr. He was the. He wasn't the star, but the the 2009 film, yeah, which everyone has side. seen. Yeah, everyone has seen the Blind Side. Life. Exactly. That, so that was based on his life. He was. Uh, he was a monster of a player. He was an offensive lineman, which are the biggest men on a football team, and he played. He ended up playing for like 10, 12 years. I don't know a lot. He won a Super Bowl. A while. Yeah, and he said that uh, quote. I'm still traumatized and I still deal with things that I dealt with as a kid. If you're still, if you're still dealing with kids, therapy is definitely needed early on because I had to do that to get back healthy, end quote. And Michael Hare now, he's- You mean dealing or, with trauma? Well, dealing it's- with kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, that could be trauma for a lot of people, unfortunately, but- Yeah, but he had a, he had a, re- he had a very, very, very- He had a rough- Rough yeah. upbringing. And that beat him down mentally. And he now he, he's a retired player, and he ha, he has he seek therapy. He's in a better place, but he knows that other people aren't as fortunate and aren't in a good place yet. And he created a nonprofit called Beat the Odds Inc. And it that's about raising uh, mental health awareness and helping those who are going through it. So we have a lot of fun here on Hipster Baseball Podcast HBP. We like to drink. We like to you know share jokes. We like to speak other languages. But mental health is an issue for everybody. Do, listener, do not be afraid to seek help. Don't be afraid to talk about some of the struggles you're going through because that's what we have family, friends, and professional help for. So cheers to you, my friend. You're, you're, we're all stronger than we think we are. So that is, um, that is a language. Whatever language you speak is how we need to communicate how we feel. Yeah, man. I mean, for, for generations, the idea of being of, of dealing with one's emotions has been poo-pooed in many cultures. And unfortunately, it's been a disservice to a lot of people. And now that there's more science and research behind understanding how the brain works, how, how internalized trauma, how your trauma really, it sticks with you. Because if we think of our average lifespan, like there's more times, there are more good or pleasant times than there are bad ones. But the bad ones are the ones that tend to stick around. And trauma, unfortunately, how our brains are wired, it holds it because our, our minds take, take consideration of the things that, that did us the most damage. And it's consistently almost reminding you so that you don't see it again so that you're able to identify it but it has very un- unfortunate uh kickback because it-, it will create a cycle and unfortunately we think with people who gained wealth or have gained notoriety that it completely ameliorates every single traumatic experience that these people have ever endured but it doesn't and sometimes that only compounds it because people don't think of them as being normal or human, or having those type of emotions. Like you said with Michael Phelps, it's like this amazing Olympian, but little did, you, little did people know is that one of the reasons why he 
found himself in precarious situations with DUIs or drinking was because of a lot of the trauma that he experienced or, and a lot of the struggles with mental health that he had. You know, one person he actually credits with helping him is Ray Lewis of all people, which is wow. very interesting. Yes. Like, oh, he's, he's, from, he's, a, he's a Baltimore native. Uh, yeah. Michael Phelps. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, when I was in school in, in Baltimore, Michael Phelps would like you. There wouldn't be a. It, it wouldn't be hard pressed to find him hanging out with people, and and drinking and being a life of the party. Like that's kind of how he was. But it, you know, you don't. You never know the the struggles that people are are are, are working with, and and what they're what baggage they're carrying. And yep. it's important to just to just be empathetic. You know, it's, for some people. It's difficult to conceptualize certain things because they don't know how to identify it or because they were told this is not something that you should be looking at or, or if you feel sad, like, you know, a lot of cultures, especially for young men, unfortunately, the idea of being emotional is not something. Machismo. Yeah, it's like you got to be strong. You got to power through it, which unfortunately, in many cases, we have to because the world doesn't stop spinning. And there's not a lot of people who are going to sit back and take the time to listen to you. But if there are more people who take the time to listen to you and understand that, hey, you know, we're living in some precarious times. These are times that I don't think many people who ha have lived, apart from, say, the generation who lived during World War II, can really say, like, you know, your lives have been upended to such a degree. What are you going to do about it? And, you know, even though, you know, uh, certain generations might say this isn't as bad as other things. Everybody deals with their journey differently. So empathy is the yeah. key people. And please, if you ever have any problems, don't, don't be afraid to talk about it. Seek the help that you need. Yeah. Mental health is a silent disease. It's a disease that no one, no one can see. It's not, you're not in a wheelchair. You're not limping. You're not, uh, you, you know what I mean? So seek help, be strong being strong and being macho or being just confident in yourself, you, not, a, not all of our listeners are male, of course, is seek help, talk about it. So, and something else that helps us with our health, our mental health, are our pets. They really are. They actually, there's, there's countless studies. Everyone knows this about dogs and cats and how they help you with blood pressure and just your mental well-being. We love our pets, whether they have wings, pause or whatever else i don't know you have a, a monkey helper i don't know we love them all tweet us a picture of your beautiful men mental friend your pet our twitter handle again is at hbp 4040 and you use the hashtag hbpets hbp ets and that's a wrap for this episode, everybody. We want to thank you for listening once again. Please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. You can find us at Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at HPP4040, and our drinks will be in the show notes. Make sure that you join us next time for a brand new episode of HPP Hipster Baseball Podcast. 